From the Western Riverside Council of Governments, I'm Rachel Singer, and this is CogCast. Bill Fulton has served in various roles throughout Southern California. He has been a journalist, a mayor for the city of Ventura, a planning director for the city of San Diego, and has established himself as a leading advocate for smart growth. Now, in his current role, as the director of the Kinder Institute for Urban Research at Rice University, Bill continues to be a thought leader. So, without further ado, joining us on the CogCast today is Bill Fulton. Bill, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So can you just start us off and share a bit about yourself? Well, uh, right now I run an urban research institute at Rice University in Texas. That's in Houston. But uh, I lived in California for more than 30 years. I had a long history in local politics and government. I was the mayor of Ventura. I was uh, the planning director of San Diego. I, I went to planning school at UCLA. Um, I did many projects together with your deputy director, Chris Gray, Um, (laughs) and uh, uh, many planners in California still know that I I still publish the uh, California Planning and Development Report website and publication, which covers land use news from all over the state. Okay, awesome. Well, now, since you've lived and worked in multiple Southern California cities, um, what's your favorite thing about the area? Everybody loves the weather in Southern California. Um, most of the time when I lived in Southern California, I lived pretty close to the ocean, which of course not everybody can do, especially in Western Riverside County, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I just think it's, uh, it's an openness. There's, a, there's a, um, a comfortableness with being who you are, no matter who you are. There's an openness uh, to other people. There's a, um, and I guess just sort of a, a casual and relaxed nature to life in Southern California. People work hard, uh, they get stressed, but um, they don't get all worked up like they do in New York or in mm-hmm. London or in Tokyo. Well, that's good to hear because all I hear is that we're too stressed. So <laughs> it is pretty. What I would say about Southern California is it's the best place in the world to live if you can afford your house and you don't have mm-hmm. a bad commute. Mm -hmm. Um, Those are the two things that get people down. Commutes are terrible, although with COVID, we may not be commuting as much as we (laughs) used to. And housing is, of course, really expensive. Even in the Inland Empire, it's really quite expensive. Um, Kind of jumping into some of that core discussion, I wanted to start us off by discussing California's um, population. So for most of recent history, California has seen kind of this continual population growth. But as of late, that growth appears to be slowing. So do you think that this trend will continue? That's the big unknown question about the future of California. You're right. Population has grown dramatically since the Great Great Depression of the 1930s. In fact, from 1940 to about 2015, that's 75 years, uh, population in California grew by three to 500,000 people a year, which is one of the largest sustained population increases in the history of the industrialized world. It's tailed off a lot in the last few years and dropped to just about zero, and it's probably in decline right now for the first time ever, certainly since California became a state. I don't know if that's going to continue. There's a long, there's been a long-term trend 
of domestic outmigration, uh, and it's been births over deaths and international immigration that has um, propped up California's population growth. Of course, we're seeing declining fertility throughout the United States, and we've seen much, for a variety of policy reasons, must much diminished internal uh, or international immigration. So I think we're going to see, it'll probably bounce back to some extent, but we probably won't see population growth in the near future in the foreseeable future at the level we saw up until 2015, 2016. So mm -hmm. maybe a couple hundred thousand a year, maybe 100,000 a year, something like that in the 2020s. Mm -hmm. That's that's helpful insight. So if, let's say, this trend does continue, and like you said, it is kind of the big question mark for California, but if it does continue, how do you think that will impact or what are the implications rather for state and local municipalities? Well, it's a big change. Uh, mm -hmm. I went through this, I grew up in New York State when this exact thing happened. Um, New York State in the 50s and 60s, up until the 50s and 60s had grown rapidly since 1825 when the Erie Canal opened, 130 years, and uh, population began to level off and decline. And people weren't prepared for that. They continued mm -hmm. to plan infrastructure improvements as this population was going to increase. And before long, you saw um, a lot of um, before long, you, you saw a lot of financial problems on the part of the municipalities. The state's been doing, as long as there are the very rich people in California, the state budget will be okay because the state is unusually dependent on uh, capital gains and high incomes, more so than other states. Local government is a different story. Um, cities especially, but cities and counties uh, depend heavily to balance their budgets on new development. This is mm -hmm. especially true in the Inland Empire. New development, which does two things. Number one, it brings in impact fees. And number two, it is one of the few ways you can increase your property tax revenue. Mm -hmm. So if new development slows down, which it, it would, it wouldn't end completely, uh, but it would probably slow down. Uh, that means that those two important revenue streams will also not increase as fast as one might expect. So basically all revenue streams that local governments depend on, including sales tax as well, because that's dependent on the volume of retail sales, will slow and it will become much more difficult for cities and counties in California and Southern California to maintain their current level of services without increasing taxes. And they have limited ability to increase taxes anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you bring up a really interesting point about your experience um, when you lived in New York and how planners perhaps maybe didn't adjust accordingly to the trajectories and trends that were happening um, in, in, that, in that day and age. And so I think that that might be potentially a best practice looking forward for California. Yeah, it's an object lesson. Uh, I think we have to be much more judicious in California about assuming future growth from now on. Hmm. Now, that doesn't mean that there isn't going to be growth. There is. And in particular, it doesn't mean that, that California is out of the housing crisis, because the housing crisis uh, is the result of, of 30 years of housing underproduction. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, the mere fact that population growth is declining is not going to change that fact. California is still way behind the curve hmm. on housing production, and that's going to have to get ramped up even if population does not. Uh, but in general, particularly with regard to their revenue, cities and counties in California are going to have to be much more judicious in their assumptions about future growth and development. And, and in particular, they have to be very wary of depending too much on 
um, on revenue that results from new development. Mm -hmm. You've seen this in the Inland Empire and elsewhere during down times, right? Mm -hmm. um, you see uh, uh, cities uh, working with special districts, Melarus districts and others to, um, uh, to lay out front end uh, 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 bond money for infrastructure which gets built and then nothing gets built uh, uh, you know, for a few years if there's a recession. In the Great Recession, 2008-9-10, we saw many cities, especially in the Central Valley, simply laid off their entire planning staff. Mm. Uh, not, they had nothing to do, and they didn't have uh, any money to pay them anyway. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, I think you have to find new and innovative ways to maintain revenue. And you also have to be more realistic about what your revenue stream in the long run is going to be. Uh, that's at odds with a lot of things that are built into local government mm -hmm. finance, especially public safety, uh, because uh, pension costs are through the roof. And there is an expectation that police officers and firefighters continually get raises, even if others do not. Mm -hmm. So this is something that you kind of started touching on, but given the diversity of communities across California, um, do you think that all regions in California will see this potential decline in growth in the next couple of years? Yes, I'm sure it's already happening. In a place mm -hmm. like the Inland Empire, it will be a lower population growth. It, it probably is not. The, the Inland Empire and the Central Valley are probably not declining in population right now. They're probably still increasing. In the coastal areas, I think we'll see a leveling off and, and begin to see a decline. Um, and that could have significant economic effects in the coastal areas. I lived for many years, as you know, in Ventura County. Mm -hmm. Ventura County has basically seen population level off and decline. And there's a, Ventura County faces some very difficult challenges uh, the, the jobs are not there. People out commute to Santa Barbara and LA. Mm -hmm. Housing is very expensive. Um, and there, the economic opportunity for young people and young families just isn't there. So I think in, especially in suburban coastal areas, such as Ventura County, such as uh, Orange County, say, such as the Central Coast, we're going to see uh, growing difficulty in figuring out how to grow the economy, how to maintain revenue. Uh, the, the threat for the Inland Empire, I think, is to overreach and assume that you will still get this vast amount of growth and development that you've gotten for 40 years, uh, during which time the Inland Empire's uh, population has grown from, what, 1 million to 4 million people, something like that. Mm -hmm. uh, to assume that that's going to double again in the next 20 or 30 years is probably a mistake. And to uh, um, uh, use those assumptions to build future fiscal capacity uh, for local governments is something I'd be wary of. Hmm. Yeah, I think there's a lot of value in what you said earlier about our, I mean, California generally, but then more specifically for the Inland Empire, being very judicious in how we approach planning, especially in the next couple of years with so much, so many question marks, I think, surrounding what it actually will look like in regards to our population. Right. And I was, I was going to say that the Inland Empire is very accustomed to this boom and bust these boom and bust cycles mm -hmm. when it comes to housing, right? Uh, 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 the, the population grows, the economy is booming, coastal land, housing prices go up. Uh, there's a lot of housing development in the, in the Inland Empire that gets reversed. People move back to Orange County and that all slows mm -hmm. down. Um, 
uh, and the expectation is it'll boom again in the future. And I think, as I say, you have to be much more judicious in the Inland Empire in the future about whether it is going to continue to um, to to boom uh, in in those boom and bust cycles. The booms, the busts will probably be just as low. The booms might not quite be as high. So switching gears a bit, um, I'm gonna we're gonna start talking about more of California's housing crisis, and so this might right. be a bit of a slight exaggeration, but sometimes it feels like California has been in a housing issue since like the dawn of time. So if you could, how would you address the housing crisis? Well, you're right. You know, I moved to California originally in 1981, and 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 at that time, the state was going through its first real big housing crisis, which occurred. The first run-up in housing crisis occurred in the late 70s. Um, it's a tough question, and part of the problem right now is there's a lack of trust on a lot of people that, with a lot of people, that the housing market can right itself. You know, mm. so uh, there are a lot of people around, an increasing number of people around the state, typically called YIMBYs, who want more housing production. You see them especially in the coastal areas where housing is so expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, on the other side, you see a wide variety of people. Uh, ranging from people who are against growth, sometimes called NIMBYs, and also people who want to protect uh, um, renters who basically don't believe that if you increase housing production, housing prices will come down. Um, uh, And so they argue that you need nothing but affordable housing. Now, my view is most people live in privately built housing. That's going to continue forever. We have to rely on the private market to produce most of the housing. There'll never be enough money to build enough affordable housing for everybody who's not being served by the market. Mm-hmm. So I think you have to increase housing production. You do have to maximize subsidized affordable housing. But I think you also got to find ways to get developers to build to a, a little bit lower end of the market. Um, housing developers tend to build to the high end of the market, whether they're building houses or townhomes or apartments, right, or condos. Um, uh, And in the Inland Empire, that takes the form almost exclusively of single family homes, right? Unlike say in Orange County or LA County. Um, So I think you you gotta find ways. The government policy has to be focused, I think, on encouraging developers to build smaller houses, uh, slightly more dense houses, maybe duplexes through through fourplexes, um, uh, in order to to bring onto the market housing that people can afford, that developers can still make money building without government subsidies. Um, that's a very tough trick. Uh, it's not something we've tried very hard to do in California in the last 50 years. Um, uh, but I think that's an, an inevitable part of it. I don't think you can solve the problem simply by assuming that you can build all subsidized affordable housing or assuming that the current housing, private housing market as it's structured will build the right type of Mm -hmm. housing. I think there's something in the middle you have to go after. Mm -hmm. And even in your response, you were talking about a number of different, um, I guess, influences into the housing crisis. And so I did want to ask, what is your perspective on the nexus between economic development, the housing, and then also transportation, particularly as it relates to California? 
Well, it kind of depends on what you mean by economic development, right? There are several different definitions of it. If you uh, uh, are a chamber of commerce, you think of it in terms of jobs and 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 <laughs> mm-hmm. small businesses thriving. If you're a city manager, you think of tax revenue. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you mean jobs, then I think another thing that probably has to happen. Uh, one of the most persistent problems California has had, and the Inland Empire has seen this uh, more than any other part of the state, is that housing moves affordable, affordable, non-subsidized affordable. Housing that people can afford moves inland, um, but jobs do not. Jobs have been very sticky, uh, in or, particularly in Orange County. Uh, and, and so you've seen a lot of job growth in Orange County, not very many, much housing growth, and that's led to this commuting problem, particularly between Riverside, Western Riverside especially, mm-hmm. uh, and, and Orange. Um, one of the, it'll be interesting to see whether COVID provides us with an opportunity, right? Because um, uh, no one knows how much this work from home trend is going to stick. Mm-hmm. Um, but if the average office worker only needs to go to the office three days a week and doesn't go on Mondays and Fridays, which is entirely foreseeable possibility. Mm-hmm. Um, that could have a tremendous effect on jobs housing balance. That could have a tremendous effect, beneficial effect on, on, on rush hour traffic and transportation demand. Um, but we don't know whether that's going to happen, right? And it, it may well be that, that somebody who uh, lives in Corona and works in Orange County, if they only have to go to work two days a week, they're going to move to Beaumont and get a bigger house, mm-hmm. right? You don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I do think it's a tremendous opportunity. And, the, and the, gover- the policy folks, the government policy folks in Western Riverside County especially, probably would be well advised to think about how they can manage and encourage a situation where there's less long distance commuting simply mm-hmm. by having more people work at work at home mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. i think it's going to vary dramatically industry by industry obviously in the bay area uh, the tech companies are embracing it right um, whether whether or not other large employers in coastal areas such as orange county will embrace it i don't know but that's a very important to the future of riverside county i think it may well be as well that um, uh, uh, it will unstick some of the jobs in Orange County and, and have them finally move to Riverside County, which basically hasn't happened very much, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so what I'm hearing you say is, in kind of circling back to our, our previous conversation about population growth, that was that one's kind of a question mark of like, we're not really sure, but we're seeing this trend, but at the end of the day, it's a huge opportunity. And same thing with how COVID will really impact the long-term trajectory of economic development, Either, either way, really, in, with either definition, transportation trends, again, a big question mark, but at the end of the day, a huge opportunity for Western Riverside County. Um, yes, but I think it takes um, thoughtful public policy at the local level to mm-hmm. figure out how to maximize the advantage. The, I mean, definitely. the other thing you don't want to do is assume endless growth in commuting into Orange County. Um, when the population may not grow as fast as it would mm-hmm. otherwise, and when people may not drive to the office as often as they do now, um, but at the same time, you don't want to just assume that COVID is going to solve all, that these are going to solve all your problems, mm-hmm. uh, and that you never have to worry about anything again. I think I think it, uh, Western Riverside Cog can do a, a, a 
play an important role here in convening local officials throughout Western Riverside County to think about what policies there are that are within the, their localities and the region's control uh, that can actually encourage less commuting to Orange County, even if the even if the companies people work for are still there, mm-hmm. and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So I'm going to jump back to something that you had said in your intro, but um, what you had mentioned that you were San Diego's planning director, and so maybe what are some lessons learned that Western Riverside County can take from your time in that role? Well, uh, San Diego, Western Riverside is affected by San Diego jobs just as it is, uh, just as Orange County is, is by Orange County, mm-hmm. uh, particularly Temecula, right? Particularly Temecula and Murrieta, San Diego has a lot of, um, has a lot of uh, um, uh, commuters that come from mm-hmm. Southwest Riverside County, right? Um, I'm not sure quite how to answer your question, except to say, uh, you know, one thing that always happens is when you create, when you start a company and you create, a, when you create jobs or you locate jobs in a particular place, you basically create housing demand 45 minutes to an hour away, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. so what was happening in San Diego was um, most of the jobs are not in downtown San Diego. They're in the northern part of the city. Um, Sorrento Mesa, Mira Mesa, La Jolla, UCSD. Um, that's not in miles. That's not very far from Southwest Riverside County. And so, what San Diego, rightly or wrongly, consciously or unconsciously, did was use Southwest Riverside County as their uh, housing escape valve, right? Uh, for for many years. Um, I would. In, I think there needs to be more. And of course, they're in different MPOs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, uh, Southwest Riverside County, WR Cog is part of SCAG, and then Sandag uh, is just San Diego County. Mm-hmm. Um, there have been attempts to um, to coordinate more and attempts to, um, uh, you know, to quantify, Sandag has attempted to quantify the, uh, the commuting effect, um, but I just think there needs to be better coordination between Sandag and Western Riverside Cog uh, to try to figure out how can, is this commuting relationship permanent, which it probably is, and if so, how you can ameliorate mm-hmm. the situation. And, and again, there's the question of, uh, uh, San Diego is so tech heavy, mm-hmm. uh, Qualcomm, for example, and biotech, are those companies going to be, uh, um, are those kind of companies going to be unleashing their employees to work at home? And if so, does that put pressure on housing in Southwest Riverside County? Mm-hmm. And if so, what does that mean? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, definitely interesting perspective. So kind of closing out our time, um, looking forward, how do you think that cities um, will fare under President Biden's administration? I think cities will do pretty well under President Biden's administration. You know, it's kind of funny uh, we just had a president, Donald Trump, who lived in Midtown Manhattan all of his adult life, and he seemed to be very anti-city, right? <laughs> um, Joe Biden, on the other hand, is a pretty conventional Democrat, which means he's more connected to urban constituencies to begin with. But he also understands the role that cities play, not just uh, uh, 
in terms of population, but also that cities are the economic muscle of the of the uh, country. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that he is a well-known um, uh, Amtrak commuter from Wilmington to, to Washington mm-hmm. uh, should assist uh, uh, rail projects. Uh, I think one of the big questions the Biden administration is going to have to face that that MPOs and others are going to have to face too is what is the role of public transit post COVID, mm-hmm. and what is the role of the federal government in 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 providing assistance? Mm-hmm. Right, the federal government generally has not provided operating assistance to public transit. They provided a lot of capital assistance. Um, uh, there will there has been and will be more public transit bailout money from the feds as re, as a result of COVID. I think a big question is, is public transit going to play the same role in the future that it played in the past? If not, what role is, going to, is it going to play? And if it's different, how does that affect transit agencies? How does that affect planning um, uh, and so forth? For, for example, um, would it make sense to have more uh, different types of vehicles, smaller vehicles? Would it make sense to have more deviated fixed route uh, uh, buses? Um, would it make do you would it make sense to does it in fact make sense to make deals with somebody like Uber for Uber tool pool type services in low demand areas right mm-hmm. um, I think all that stuff's going to come to the fore post COVID uh, when uh, both revenue and ridership for public transit agencies will be very very slow to return to pre-COVID levels, if in fact they ever do. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for your insight on the podcast today and just for taking the time to be here with us. Um, do you have any final remarks before we sign off for today? Well, I think that California faces a lot of challenges in the future. Uh, you know, I would say California goes through every once in a while, some dystopian period where everything seems to be going wrong, right? <laughs> and, and uh, you know, I remember that happened in the 90s, which is a long time ago now, and the early 2000s. Um, and it kind of feels like that's what California is going through now. Housing mm-hmm. prices are really high. There's all these wildfires. Um, I'm confident that California is resilient. Uh, I just think that uh, California, and particularly the Inland Empire and Western Riverside, are much more likely to succeed in the future if the local officials uh, are aggressive and thoughtful mm-hmm. public policy, working with the state, working with the regional entities such as WR COG uh, to try to address the issues that I've talked about and get out ahead of them. Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Well, thank you so much, Bill. Thank you. For more information on WRCOG and the COGcast, please visit our website at www.wrcog.us. For more information about Riverside County's efforts on COVID-19, please visit rivcoph.org coronavirus.